0: Alright, we're going to start JK Row- JK Rowling. Ha <laughs> ha that joke. Okay. J.K. Rowling's Harry K- Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Or hey, if you're British and you're weird, you call it the Philosopher's Stone. I can't talk this already. Great story as you can tell. Mr and Mrs. Dirtly of number four, Privet Drive, I call it Privet, fight me. We're proud to say they were perfectly normal, thank you very much. They were the last people you'd expect to be involved in anything strange or mysterious. They just didn't hold with such nonsense. Mr. Dursley was the director of a firm called Runnings, which made drills. He was a big, beefy man with hardly any neck, although he did have a very large mustache. Mrs. Dursley's was thin and blonde, and nearly twice the usual amount of neck, which came in very useful while She spent so much of her time craning over the garden fences, spying on her neighbors. At that one person at high school, you all know who you are. The Dursleys had a small son called Dudley, and in their opinion, there was no finer boy around. The Dursleys had everything they wanted, and they also had a secret, and their greatest fear was that somebody would discover it. They didn't think they could bear it if anyone found out about the Potters. Mrs. Potter was Mrs. Dursley's sister, but they hadn't met for several years. In fact, Mrs. Dursley pretended she didn't have a sister, because her sister was her her good-for-nothing because her sister and her good-for-nothing husband were as undersleyish as it was possible to be. Dursley shuddered to think of what the neighbors would say if the Potters arrived in the street. The Dursleys knew that the Potters had a small son too, but they had never even seen him. This boy was another good reason for keeping the Potters' way, and it went deadly mixing with a child like that. When Mr. and Mrs. Dursley woke up on a gray dull Tuesday, our story starts. <laughs> There was nothing about the clouds, the cloudy sky outside, just, just that strange, mysterious things would soon be happening all over the country. Mr. Dursley hummed as he picked out his most boring time for work, and Mrs. Dursley gossiped away happily as she wrestled screaming deadly into his high chair. None of them noticed a large, tawny owl flutter past the window. I have to remember to um, look up the different kinds of owls because they are like, hey, this kind of owl, this kind of owl, this kind of owl, I don't actually know the difference. At half past eight, Mr. Dursley picked up his briefcase, pecked Mrs. Dursley on the cheek, and tried to kiss Dudley goodbye, but missed. Mr. Dudley was now having a tantrum and throwing his cereal at the walls. <laughs> a little tyke. short of Mr. Dursley as he left. He got into his car and backed out a number 4 drive. Not a private drive, but, um, that's about bad joke, okay. It was on the corner of a street that he noticed the first sign of something peculiar, a cat reading a map. For a second, Mr. Dursley didn't realize what he had seen. Then he jerked his head around to look again. There was a tad cat sitting on the corner of Privet Drive, but there wasn't a map in sight. Could he have been thinking? them? It? it must have been a trick of the light. Mr. Dursley blinked and stared at the cat. He stared back. As Mr. Dursley drove around the corner and up the road, he watched the cat in his mirror. It was now reading the sign that said Privet Drive. No, looking at the sign. Cats couldn't read maps or signs. <laughs> Mr Dursley gave himself a little shake and put the cat out of his mind. As he drove towards town, he found nothing except the large order of drugs he was hoping to get that day. But on the edge of town, Drews were driven out of his mind by something else. As he sat in the usual morning traffic jam, you couldn't help noticing that there's there seemed to be a lot of strangely dressed people about. People in cloaks. Oof. And the caffeine drops, okay. people in cloaks. Mr. Dursley couldn't bear people who dressed in funny clothes. Get ups you saw in young people. He supposed this was some stupid new fashion. He drummed his fingers on the steering wheel, and his eyes fell on a huddle of these weirdos standing quite close by. They were whispering excitingly together. Mr. Dursley was enraged to see that a couple of them weren't young at all. Why, the man had to be older than he was, wearing an green cloak. The nerve of him. But then it struck Mr. Dursley. This was probably some silly stunt. These people were obviously collecting for something. Yes, that would be it. Traffic moved on, and a few minutes later, Mr. Dursley arrived in Brennan's parking lot, his mind back on his ribs. Mr. Dursley always sat with his back to the window of his office on the ninth floor. If he had it, he might have found it harder to trace on drugs that morning. He didn't see the hour swooping past in broad daylight. though people down in the street did they pointed and gazed open-mouthed as hour after hour sped overhead. Most of them had never even seen an that way, even at night time. Mr. Dursley, however, had a perfectly normal, owl free morning. He yelled at five different people, He made several important telephone calls, and shouted a bit more. Well, it sounds like my dad. Uh, if you're hearing this, sorry, Dad. Love you. He was in a very good mood until lunchtime, when he thought he'd stretch his legs a bit and walk across the road to buy himself a button from the bakery. He'd forgotten all about the people in close until he passed a group of them next to the bakers. He eyed them angrily as he passed. He didn't know why, but they made him uneasy. This bunch whispering excitedly, too. He couldn't see a single collecting tin. It was on his way back past them, clutching a large stone in his bag. He caught a few words of what they were saying. The potters, that's right, that's what I heard. Their son Harry? my bad. Yes, their son, Harry. Mr. Dursley stopped dead. Fears flooded him. He looked back at the whispers as if he wanted something to say, say something to him, but felt better of it. He dashed back across the road, hurried up to his office, snapped at his secretary not to disturb him, seized his cell uh, phone, and had almost finished no dialing his home number when he changed his mind. He put the receiver back down and stroked his mustache, thinking, no, he was being stupid. Potter wasn't such an unusual name. He was sure there were lots of people called Potter who had a son called Harry. Come to think of it, he was sure that his nephew was called Harry. He'd never seen the boy. It might have been Harvey or Harold. There's no point worrying. Mrs. Dursley. Oh, there was no point worrying, Mrs. Dursley. Okay. She always got so upset any he mention of her sister. He did not blame her if he'd had a sister like that. But all the same, those people and cloaks. Tisk tisk Cloaks. He found it a lot harder to concentrate on dreams that afternoon, when he left the building at five o'clock, he was still so worried that he walked straight into someone just outside the door. Sorry, he grunted as the tiny old man stumbled and almost fell. It was a few seconds before Mr. Dursley realized the man was wearing a violet cloak. He didn't seem at all upset at him. Being almost knocked to the ground on the pantry, his face split into a wide smile, and he said in a squeaky voice at that passport that made passerby stare. Don't be sorry, my dear sir, for nothing could upset me today. Rejoice, well you know who has gone at last. Even muggles like yourself should be celebrating this happy, happy day. And the old man hugged Mr Dursley around the widow and walked off. Mr Dursley stood rooted on the spot. He had been hugged by a complete stranger. He also thought he'd been called a muggle, whatever that was. He was rattled. He hurried to his car and set off for home, hoping he was imagining things, which he had never hoped for, because he didn't approve of imagination. imagine That's how I'm sticking my head and ears all day now. As he pulled into the driveway of North 4, the first thing he saw that didn't improve his mood was the tabby cat he'd spotted that morning. It was now sitting on his garden wall. He was sure it was the same one, and the same markings around its eyes. Shoot. Said Mister Dursley loudly, "Catnip, move!" him a stern look. Sounds like my grandmother. Was the normal cat? Was this normal cat behavior? Mister Dursley wondered. Trying to pull himself together, he let himself into the house. He was determined not to mention anything to his wife. Mrs. Dursley had had a nice, normal day. She told him over dinner about all about. Next, this is next year's problems with her daughter and how Dudley had learned a new word. But Mr. Dursley tried to act normally. When Dudley had been put to bed, he went into the living room in time to catch the last report of the evening news. And finally, bird watchers everywhere have reported that the North nation's owls have been behaving very unusually today. Although those owls normally hunt at night nor are they ever seen in daylight, there have been hundreds of sightings of these birds flying in every direction since sunrise. Experts are unable to explain why the owls have suddenly changed their sleeping pattern. The newscaster allowed himself a grin. Most mysterious. And now over to Jim McGuffin with the weather. Going to see any more showers of owls tonight, Jim? Well, Ted said the weatherman. I don't know about that, but it's not only that was I've been acting oddly today. Viewers as far as Kent, Yorkshire, and Dundee have been phoning in to tell me that in some rain, as I promised yesterday, they've had a downpour shooting stars. Perhaps the have been celebrating Bonfire, bonfire Night early. Guess that's a British holiday. It's not until next week, folks, but I can promise a wet night tonight. That's what she said. Ha 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 ha. Mr. Dursley sat frozen in the armchair, shooting stars all over Britain, owls flying by daylight, serious people in cloaks all over the place, and a whisper. A whisper about the potters. Mrs. Dursley came into the living room carrying two cups of tea. It was no good. He'd have to say something to her. He cleared his throat and never said, "'Herr, dear, you haven't heard anything from your sister lately, have you?' As he expected, Mrs. Dursley looked shocked and angrily. After all, they normally pretended she didn't have a sister. "'No. Why?' She said, sharply. "'Funny stuff on the news,' Mr. Dursley mumbled. "'Ow, stars, and there were a lot of funny-looking people in town today.'" "'So?' snuffed Mrs. Dursley. Well, I just thought, maybe, that was something to do with, you know, her crowd. he's a homophobe. Ten bucks. Just saying. Mrs. Dursley sipped her tea and threw pursed lips. Mr. Dursley wondered whether he dared tell her that he'd heard the name Potter. He decided he didn't hear. He didn't dare. Instead, he said, as casually as he could, their son... He'd be about Dudley's age now, wouldn't he? I suppose so, said Mrs. Dursley stiffly. What is his name again? Howard, isn't it? Harry. Nasty, common name, if you ask me. Oh, yes, said Mr. Dursley, his heart sinking horribly. Yes, I quite agree. He didn't say another word on the subject as they went upstairs to bed. While Mrs. Dursley was in the bathroom, Mr. Dursley crept to the bedroom window and peered to the front gate. garden. Cat was still there, staring down private Drive as though it were waiting for something. Was he imagining things? Could all of this have anything to do with the potter? If it did, if it got out, they were alerted to a pair of, well, he didn't think he could bear it. The Dursleys got onto bed. Mrs. Dursley fell asleep quickly, but Mr. Dursley lay awake, turning it all over in his mind. His last comforting thought before he fell asleep was that even if the potters were involved, There's no reason for them to come near him and Mrs. Dursley. The potters knew very well that he and Petunia didn't talk. The potters knew very well what he and Petunia thought about them and their kind. He couldn't see how he and Petunia could get mixed up in anything that might be going on. He yawned and turned over. couldn't affect them. How very wrong he was. Mr. Dursley might have been drifting into an uneasy sleep. On the wall outside, showing no signs of sleepiness. It was sitting still as a statue, with its eyes fixed unblinkingly on the far corner part of the drive. It didn't so much as queer when a car door slammed on the next street, meanwhile, when 2 hours swooped overhead. In fact, it was nearly midnight before the cat moved at all. A man appeared on the corner the cat had been watching, it appeared so suddenly and silently that I thought he had just popped out of the ground. Cat's tail twitched and its eyes narrowed. Nothing like this man have ever been seen on Pretty Drive. He was tall, thin, and very old, judging by the silver on his hair and beard, which was long enough to tuck into his belt. He was wearing long robes, a purple cloak that swept the ground, and high-heeled buckled boots. His blue eyes were light, bright, sparkling behind half-moon spectacles, and his nose was very long enough. His if it have been broken at least twice. This man's name was Albus Dumbledore. Albus Dumbledore didn't seem to realize that he had just arrived in the street, where everything from his name to his boots was so more unwelcome. He was busy rummaging in his cloak, looking for something. But he didn't, didn't seem to realize he was being watched, because he looked up suddenly at the cat, which was staring at him from the other end of the street. For some reason, the sad cat seemed to miss him. He chuckled and mumbled, I should have known! That's my best old man voice that you're getting from me, I'm sorry. He found what he was looking for in his inside pocket. It seemed to be a silver cigarette lighter. He flipped it open and held it up in the air and clicked it. The nearest street lamp went out with a little pop. He clicked again. The next lamp flickered out into the darkness. Twelve times he clicked the put out her until the only lights left on the whole street were two little print in the distance. Which were the eyes of the cat watching them. If anyone looked out of their window now, even beady eyed Mysteriously, they wouldn't be able to see anything that was happening down the pavement. Dumnor slipped the put-outer back inside his cloak and set off on the street towards number four, where he sat down on the wall next to the cat. He can't look at it, but after a moment he spoke. Fancy seeing you here, Professor McGonagall. He turned to smile at the tabby, but it was gone. In here was smiling out a a rather severe-looking woman. who was wearing like square glasses, exactly as the markings the cat had around its with eyes, too. She, too, was wearing a memorable one. Her black hair was drawn into a tight bun. She looked distinctly ruffled. Still sounds like my grandmother, so my grandmother would never prove anything magical. If you're listening to this, Grandma, I'm sorry. I love you. How did you know it was me? She asked. My dear professor... I've never seen a cat sit so stiffly. You'd be stiff if you had been sitting on a brick wall all day, said Professor McGonagall. All day? When you could have been celebrating? I must have passed a dozen feasts and parties on my way here. Professor McGonagall sniffed angrily. Oh yes, everyone's celebrating all right, she said impatiently. You'd think they'd be a bit more careful, but no. Even the muggles have noticed something going on. It was on their news. She jerked her head back to the Dursley's the dark living room window. I heard it. Flocks of owls, shooting stars. Well, they're not completely stupid. They bound out of something. Shooting stars sent down in tent. I'll bet that was Daedalus deal. He never had much sense. You can't blame them, said Dumbledore gently. We've had precious little celebrate for eleven years. I know that, said Mrs. Donoghue, you But that's no reason to lose our head. Swarping downright careless, out on the streets in broad daylight, not even dressed in muggle clothes, swapping rumors. She just threw a sharp, sideways glance at Dumbledore here, as though hoping he was going to tell her something. But he didn't. I got a text. Okay. So she went on. A fine thing it would be if, on the very day, you know who seemed to have disappeared at last. I was found out about us, so I suppose he really has gone, Dumbledore. It certainly seems so, said Dumbledore. We have much to be thankful for. Take care for a lemon drop. A what? A lemon drop. They're kind of muggle sweet I'm fond upon them. Fun fact, that's actually one of my favorite candies, too. Pretty good. I'm getting off track, but if you're in Louisville, if you go across the river to Shrimp's Candy, uh, they make really good fresh lemon drops. All right, back to reading. No, thank you. No, no, thank you. Oh, No, thank you, said Professor McGonagall coldly, as though she didn't think this was the moment for Lemon drops. As I say, even if you know who has gone, my dear professor, surely a sensible person like yourself can call him by his name. All this you-know-who nonsense. For 11 years, I've been trying to persuade people to call him by his proper name. Voldemort. Voldemort, okay? I'm not calling him Voldemort, even if his name is French. Professor McGonagall (laughs) flinched The Dumbledore, who was unsticking two lemon drums, seemed not to notice. It all gets so confusing if we keep saying you-know-who. I know, so many reasons we frightened of saying Voldemort's name. I know you haven't, said Professor McGonagall, sounding half-exasperated, half-admiring. But you're different one knows you're the only one, you know who oh, All right, Voldemort was frightened of. You flatter me, said Dumbledore calmly. Voldemort had powers I would never have, only because you're too, well, noble to use them. Noble, air quotes, because... You know, I won't spoil even this. This is an old-ish book. It's lucky it's dark. I haven't blushed this much since madame Pomfrey told me she left my new earmuffs. Female, get any LN of the female human race, species, whatever it's called. Compliments me. Breaks down. Professor McGonagall shot a sharp look at Dumbledore and said, Females are nothing next to the rumors that are flying around. You know that everyone's saying? About why he's disappeared? About what finally stopped him? Since McGonagall had reached the point she was most anxious to discuss, the real reason she had been waiting on a cold, hard wall today. For neither as a cat nor as a woman that had she fixed Dumbledore with such a piercing stare as she did now. It was plain that whatever everyone was saying, she was not going to believe it until Dumbledore told him it was true. Dumbledore, however, she was in lemon dock and did not answer. What they're saying, she pressed on, is that last night, Voldemort turned up in Roderick's Hollow. She went to find the Potters. That? The rumor is that Lily and James Potter are... are... and that... they're dead. Dumbledore bowed his head. And Professor McGong gasped, Lily and James? I can't believe it. I don't want to believe it. Oh, hold this. Dumbledore reached out and patted her on the shoulder. I know. I know. Professor McGowan's voice trembled as she went on. That's not all. They're saying he tried to kill the Potter's son, Harry, but he couldn't. He couldn't kill that little boy. No one knows why or how. But they're saying that when he couldn't kill Harry Potter, well, they're saying that when he couldn't kill Harry Potter, the power somehow broke. And that's why he's gone. Dumbledore nodded glumly. It's true? Well, oh, it's, it's true, faltered Professor McGonagall. After all he's done, all the people he's killed, he couldn't kill a little boy. It's just astounding. For all the things that stop him, how in the name of heaven did Harry survive? We can only guess, said Dumbledore. We may never know. How many dump? how many killing curses it to kill Harry Potter? The world may never know. Professor McGonagall pulled out a lace handkerchief and dabbed her eyes beneath the spectacles. Dumbledore gave a graceful emphasis to the and took golden, white, golden, witch from his, golden watch from his pocket, examined it. It was a very odd watch. It had twelve hands but no numbers. Instead, little plants were moving around the edge. It must have made sense to Dumbledore though, because he put it back in his pocket and said, "Hagrid's late. I suppose it was he who told you I'd be here." but yes." Said Professor McGonagall. And I don't suppose you're telling me why you're here, of all places? I've come to bring Harry to his aunt and uncle. That's the only family he has left now. You don't need, you can't mean the people who live here, cried Professor McGonagall, jumping to her feet and pointing at number four. I mean, she's right. Dumbledore, you can't. I've been watching them all day. You couldn't find two people who are less like us. And they've got the son. I saw him kicking his mother all the way up the street screaming for sweets. Harry Potter, come live here? That's the best place for him, said Dumbledore firmly, His aunt and Uncle will be able to explain everything to him when he's older. I've written him a letter. A letter, repeated Professor McGonagall faintly, sending him back on the wall. Really, Dumbledore, you think you can explain all this in a letter? These people will never understand him. He'll be famous, a legend, and express day if he was known as Dumb Harry Potter Day in the future. There will be books written about Harry. Every child in the world will know his name. Exactly. Said Dumbledore, looking very seriously over the top of his afternoon glasses. It will be enough to turn any boy's head. Famous before he can walk and talk. Famous for something he won't even remember. Can't you see how much better off he'll be growing up way until he's ta- ready to take it in? Wow, it's hard to read out loud. Fist Magona opened her to mouth. Change her mind swallowed it and then said, Yes, yes, you're right, of course. But how is the boy getting here, Dumbledore? She eyed his cloak suddenly as though she, she thought he must be hiding Perry underneath it. Hagrid him. You think it was wise to trust Hagrid with something as important as this? I would trust Hagrid with my life. I'm not saying his heart isn't in the right place, said Professor McGonagall, McGonag- grudgingly. McGonag- 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 but you can't pretend he's not careless. He does tend to... What was that? A low rumbling sound had broken the silence around him. <sighs> Fucking airplanes. Oh, sorry. This is uh, PG-13, by the way. So I'm allowed one F-bomb each time. A low rumbling sound had broken the silence around him. It grew steadily louder as they looked up and down the street for some sign of a headlight. It swelled to a roar as both looked up at the sky. A huge motorcycle fell out of the air and landed on the road in front of them. If the motorcycle was huge, it was nothing to the man sitting astride it. He was almost twice as tall as the North Man, at least five times as wide. He looked simply too big to be allowed, and so wild, long tangles of bushy black hair and pure to hit most of his face. He had hands the size of trash cans, and his feet in their leather boots were like baby dolphins. In his vast muscular arms, he was holding a bundle of blankets. Hagrid, oh nope, no, Hagrid said Dumbledore, sounding relieved. Alas, where did you get that noise? Motorcycle, borrowed it, Professor Dumbledore, sir," said the giant, climbing carefully off his, the motorcycle as he spoke. Young Sirius Black, to me. I've got him, sir. No problems, were there? No, sir. House was almost destroyed, but I got him out all right before the muggles started to swarm around. He fell asleep as he were flying over Bristol. Dumbledore and Professor McGonagall bent forward over the bundle of blankets. Inside, just visible, was baby Roy, fast asleep under a tuft of jet black. Voila, under a tuft of jet black hair on his forehead, you could see a carefully shaped cut like a bolt of lightning. Is that where? Yes said Dumbledore. He'll have that scar forever. I mean, tell me infinite magic and you can't do a little plastic surgery, but okay. Couldn't you do something about it, Dumbledore? Even if I could, I wouldn't. Scars can come in handy. I have one above my left knee that is perfectly active in London's house. Well, give him here, Huber. we You better get this over with. Dumbledore took Harry in his arms and turned towards the Dursley's house. Could I... Can I just say goodbye to him, sir? asked Hagrid. He bent his great shaggy head over Harry and gave him a spindle's very scratchy with spree kiss. Then suddenly, Hagrid let out a wh- howl like a wounded dog. Shh, shh said Professor McGonagall. You'll make the muckles. <laughs> so sorry, said Hagrid, taking a large spotted handkerchief and buried it in his face in it. I, but I can't g- 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 stand it. Oh, not James dead? And poor little Harry off to live with, Muggles. Yes, yes, it's all very sad. Get a grip on yourself, Hagrid, we'll be found, said Professor McGonagall, whispering, patting Hagrid gingerly on the arm as someone stepped over the little garden wall and walked to the front door. He laid Harry gently on the doorstep, took a letter out of his cloak, tucked it inside Harry's blankets, and then came back down to the other two. For a full minute the three of them stood and looked at the below bundle. Hagrid's shoulders shook. Professor McGonagall blinked fiercely, and the twinkling light that usually shone from the moon's eyes seemed to have gone out. Well, said Professor Dumble finally, that's that. We've no business staying here. We may as well go and join the celebrations. Yeah, said said Hagrid in a very muffled voice. It's best it's best get this bike away. Mm. Night, Professor McGonagall. "'Professor Dumbledore, sir.' Wiping his streaming eyes on his jacket sleeve, Hagrid swung himself out onto the motorcycle and kicked the engine onto life. With a roar, it rose into the air and off into the night. "'I shall soon y- see you soon, I expect Professor McGonagall,' said Dumbledore, nodding her. Professor McGonagall blew her nose in reply. Dumbledore turned and walked back down the street. On the corner, he stopped and took out the silver put-outer. Clicked it at once, and 12 balls of light sped back to the street lamps so that the Frippet drive glowed suddenly orange. You could make it out a tabby cat slinking on the corner at the other end of the street. He could just see the bundle of blankets on the step in number four. Good luck, Harry, he murmured. He turned on his heel, and with a switch of his cloak, he was gone. The breeze ruffled the neat hedges of privet drive, which lay like silent and tidy under the oozy sky the very last place which you would expect astonishing things to happen. Harry Potter rolled inside his blankets without waking up. One small hand closed on the letter beside him, and he stepped on, not knowing he was special, not knowing he was famous, not knowing he would be walking a few hours time by Mrs. Dursley's scream as she opened the front door to put the milk bottles out, nor that he would spend the next few weeks being prodded and pinched by his cousin Dudley couldn't know if this was at this very moment people were meeting in secret all over the country were holding up glasses and saying hushed voices to Harry Potter the boy who lived.